Grace and peace to you from God, our Heavenly Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. By the presence of his Holy Spirit, he's here around all of us and is within every single believer. And all God's people says, Amen. So last Sunday, we left Jesus and the disciples at the Last Supper and uh, the preparation for the emotional preparation, uh, the faith preparation for what they're about to go through has gotten to a really intense stage. So much so that to the point where Jesus recognizes the disciples are all stirred up and agitated. And so in, in verse 1, Jesus said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Believe. Trust us. We'll get you through. Now as that closes down, let's go to verse 6. Actually, our start here. Um, what Jesus is going to do now as he steps forward, he's preparing them for, for getting through the cross and that whole uh, horrifying event for them. But he's going to let them know that there's work for you to do on the other side of this. I'm stepping out of here, but there's work to continue. It's, I'm not going to blow the thing up and have you all scattered and it come to naught. Um, you're going to carry this on, and it's going to be amazing. You've got work to do. He's going to share with them. It's empowered by prayer. John chapter 14, let's pick it up at verse 6, tail end of last Sunday. Jesus said to him, Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except, say with me, through me. So there's this, this connection between the Father and the Son is, is powerful and huge. It's, it's, you have to have him. You can't have the Father without having Jesus. He's going to carry this, this theme forward and then bring it to a really interesting conclusion here. So verse 7, Jesus says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. And it's, it's a little tricky in the Greek, so I don't know. I, I think I prefer a little bit closer to you have known me these last three years, right? And as you've gotten to know me, you have uh, started to get to know the father also. It says, from now on, you do know him, the father, and have seen him. Have seen him? How have they seen the father? How have the disciples seen the Father, right? That's got to be something that caught their attention. Sure enough, Philip. So we've had Timothy, uh, Timothy, sorry about that. <laughs> Timothy prominent in our service this morning. We had Thomas a little bit ago saying, you know, Lord, we don't know where you're going. Help us out here. We had Peter a little bit ago saying, Lord, where are you going? I'll go with you wherever you go. Even if I have to die, I'll go with you. So the disciples are popping up in different uh, ways and, and being engaged here in, in, in a huge way. This time it's Philip. Philip says to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. That's a pretty huge statement, right? What, what is on Peter's heart? What is he doing? He's been hanging with Jesus for three years. That's pretty good, right? Pretty great, amen? But he, what does he want? He says, because all oh, the pinnacle, the, the greatest, the most wonderful thing of all would be if we could see the Father. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever, say this with me, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. I want to stop here for a second. This is really, really big stuff. So many people in the world, around the world, think they have an idea about God. And you know, we got, we got uh, Zeus from Greek mythology. We got Odin from the Vikings or whatever. We got all these different... A man ideas about God. What are those ideas like? 
Most of them are, God isn't angry, he's powerful, he's far distant, brings the hammer down once in a while. That's the picture of God Almighty that most of the religions come up with. Have I been with you so long, you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. You want to know, get to know the one true God, Father Almighty. Here's how you do that. You get to know Jesus. Because Jesus represented him, displayed him, manifested him, spoke his words, everything. And so, I don't know if you realize this, but as you've been focusing on, probably even rightly so, focusing on getting to know Jesus and walking with him in a personal relationship through life, hallelujah, glory, did you recognize that the closer and the better you get to know Jesus, you're actually also getting to know the Father? That he is the perfect representation of the Father? We don't have a distant, angry, uh, white-bearded guy that brings the gavel down once in a while. Here's how Jesus describes it. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. He says, how can you say, show us the Father? He says, that's what I've been doing for three years. I've been showing you the Father. Wow. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak in my own authority. Where did Jesus' words come from? Who was the source? Who gave him the words and prompted him to speak them? The Father. The words that I say to you, I do not speak in my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me, is, is God the Father just directing Jesus from afar? Do this, say this, here's your, here's your thing today. Walk on water towards the end of the day. Um, freak them out, make them think you're a ghost. Is that... No, the Father is in him, moment by moment, guiding and directing and empowering his whole ministry. The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. The words come from the Father. The miracles, the signs come from his power dwelling within me. This is a combo platter. Amen? Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. I couldn't do these works in my own power. It's the Father in me who accomplishes them. Verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, amen, amen. This, I couldn't say anything more true if I tried, Philip. And he's speaking now to the whole, all the disciples, all 11. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, will also do, say this to me, will also do the works that I do. Okay, this is important stuff. Will do the works that I do. Now, John, what does John call the miracles that Jesus did all through the gospel? The word begins with the, with the letter S. Signs. John has called them signs through the whole gospel. Does Jesus say here, greater works, let's see, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will do also do the signs that I do. And greater signs than these will he do. Is that what Jesus said? I said works. Why did he use the, use the word works rather than signs? What does John say about the signs all through his gospel? The people who believed in Jesus only because of the signs, what, what about their faith? Their faith was, was wobbly. The faith wasn't grounded. John, through the whole gospel, says the people who had the faith that received Christ and salvation and walked with him were the people who, who 
whose faith came by hearing. hearing. So it's really fascinating. Jesus is careful here. Right? God is careful to use the, the best words. Amen. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. What works has Jesus been doing? It does include miracles. It does include the signs. But what was the main thing on Jesus' heart? That the signs would lead people to salvation, faith, by hearing. The greatest work is when somebody comes to salvation, goes to heaven, because they believe in Jesus by hearing the gospel. That's the greatest work. So Jesus says, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. How is it that you and I are going to do greater works than Jesus? That's pretty mind-blowing, right? How's that possible? Well, Jesus says, I'm out of here. And I'm sending the Holy Spirit to empower and live in you and empower your ministry. But what happened on Pentecost Sunday? How many people got saved that day? 3,000 people. We don't, we don't have a, a, a little recording of, of people getting saved in Jesus. It's kind of a technicality. The Holy Spirit comes. The Holy Spirit draws people to faith, helps them to believe. But on Pentecost, 3,000 people got saved that day. Jesus never had uh, an in-gathering, a harvest like that in his own ministry. Where are we at today? How many believers are around the world today? Who knows? How can we count? Millions. Say glory. So greater works. Is it happening? Jesus said it would happen. Is it happening? Are we doing greater works than he was able to do? Where did Jesus go in his three years of ministry? Did he even leave Israel? He went, he went across the lake to the side of the Gerasenes. But technically that was in the original boundaries of Israel. He never left Israel. Where's the gospel today? It's all over the world. So Jesus says, greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Verse 13. Now this is where we get into some really interesting territory. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And you, you, you kind of scratch your head going, did you say what I think he said? Just to be clear, then he says, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. One of the most challenging promises in the Bible, amen. What do we do with this? Have, have you asked things in the name of Jesus that didn't happen? Well, what's the deal? His name is not a magic wand, is it? What does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? Well, it means to pray in his will, in his presence, in his character, all those wonderful things. Does it mean that we can pray and in Jesus' name and see signs, miracles happen? It does. Does it mean that we can pray in his name and see other amazing things happen? Yes, it does. It means a whole lot more. So this is a huge, huge area to play with and wrestle with. You know, we're not going to spend hours. We could. So we have any mercy on it today. Mm -hmm. But 
But here's, here's where the Lord led me to, to process this promise today. Okay? We're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 7. We're going to spend some time with the Apostle Paul now. The Apostle Paul has over 40 of his prayers recorded in the New Testament. Over 40. If you want to look it up online, which I did last night, to, to go in depth. Uh, just reading his prayers one after the other. So, wow. <laughs> Such a God experience. So we're going to spend some time with Paul and see how Paul prayed in the name of Jesus, into his character, into his will. And the first one is going to be a negative, challenging experience initially. Chapter 12, verse 7. You're familiar with this, right? The thorn in his flesh. So verse 7. Paul has just been talking about, in, in the initial part of chapter 12, about how God took him up to heaven and showed him around. Everybody said, wow. And he says, and then uh, he says, stuff that I can't even tell you about because it's not fit for a human being to talk about what's, what's going on up there. He's, whoo, amazing stuff, right? So in verse 7 he says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations that God has given to me, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Now we'll get to the prayer part here in just a second, but we just want to process this for a little bit. Um, what, did, what did God accomplish through Paul? Only planted churches all over the known world. Only hundreds and maybe thousands of people came to salvation through Paul's ministry. His evangelism going all over the place. So amazing things. What would have happened to Paul's ministry, the fruit of it, if he had become conceited? Gotten really prideful. Maybe started wearing fancy $5,000 suits. And, and I don't want to go too far. But, you know? What would have happened to Paul's ministry, the fruit of his ministry, if he had become conceited in his place with God? It would have blown the whole thing up. It would have wrecked all those relationships. It would have wrecked all those people he left behind to be uh, preachers and, and teachers and shepherds in the congregations. It would have wrecked the whole thing. So God says, you know what? Paul, you've been doing an amazing job. You've been going where I send you and not going where I tell you not to go to. And you've been, you've been risking your life repeatedly over and over and over again. You've taken beatings and all kinds of things. And there's been amazing fruit born through you, Paul. Because you've been letting me do that. And I'm going to preserve and protect all the things I've accomplished through you by keeping you humble and not allowing pride to blow it all up. And here's how I've decided to keep you humble. I'm going to give you, here, here's, it's a gift. Say it with me. It's a gift. I'm going to give you a thorn in your flesh to help you stay humble. So what's Paul going to do with that? You'd pray about it, wouldn't you? <laughs> you pray in Jesus' name hard, wouldn't you? That's what he does. Verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it, the thorn should leave me. But God said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 
So God says, so So Paul prayed in Jesus' name, right? In his will, in his character. Paul three times said, God, this thorn is, plead. he pleaded with him, please remove it. Then God spoke to him and said, Paul, it's a gift from me. It's, it's torture to you, but it's to preserve all you've given your life to. It's for me to preserve all the salvation of growing churches that are all over the place because of your ministry. So when I pray in Jesus' name for things, do I see the bigger picture? Do I know all the stuff that's going on? So the answer to me, I don't always understand it. Here is a wonderful example. God says, here's what's going on. I'm making it clear to you. I'm preserving all the wonderful ministry you've accomplished by keeping you humble. So I'm not going to remove this thorn. In fact, I'm going to leave this thorn on purpose, and my grace will be sufficient for you. My power, my, my life-giving, and my love-giving power to you every day will be sufficient. You'll be able to get through each day. That's my promise to you, Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. My power has been perfect in weakness. Now, you got to see what Paul does with it. So God answers him, right? Paul says, oh, Lord, this thorn, please. We don't know what the thorn was. This thorn, please. Oh, Lord, three times. Oh, God, would you get rid of this thorn for me? And then God answers him clearly. The thorn's going to stay, and here's why. It's to keep you humble, to preserve the fruit from your ministry. Look what Paul does with the answer. Does he go, ah, oh, you're kidding me. i got to live with this thing forever until you take me home? It's a thorn. It's in my flesh. Come on. Here's what Paul does with the answer. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ Jesus, is that what matters the most to you and me or not? It's a big question. Is that what matters most to you or not? For the sake of Christ. I will, I will go through anything. I will experience anything. I will allow a thorn in my flesh to happen for the sake of Christ. Is that where we're at? Paul got to that place. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, content with insults, hardships, persecutions, and say it with me, calamities. Now say this last sentence with me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We'll flesh that out. I pray this often. Since COVID, it's been a little more personal for me. Okay. So God, in my weakness, keep on showing your strength. Because whatever I accomplish, people, it's not a testimony to me. Stop that. <laughs> I'm pretty weak. Physically, I don't have a lot to offer. Everything I accomplish is because who has empowered me to do it? Jesus Christ himself. Every, every weakness in my life, it's an opportunity for him to show his strength, and he does. And then it's an opportunity for me to testify, right? That wasn't me. That was Jesus. 
testify. Let people know. How many people in the world are struggling with their weaknesses right now today without Christ? Wouldn't it be better if they could have Jesus and could have his power and strength in their weakness? So let's go to two more. We're going to go to 1 Thessalonians and then 2 Thessalonians. I'll tell you this. I don't want to say blew my mind. It expanded my mind. It expanded my heart to look at how Paul prays. And um, if you want to have a piece of paper or something handy or your Bibles or whatever, I numbered my Bible. But, but when you look at all 40 of Paul's prayers in the New Testament, themes start rising to the top. Things he often prayed for over and over and over. And those themes start getting into your heart. You're like, this is the will of Christ. This is the heart of God. That's why Paul keeps praying into it. Amen? Amen? Amen. Glory. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 9. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? As we pray most earnestly, night and day, that we may see you face to face, and supply what is lacking in your faith. Paul prayed a lot about other people's faith. He prayed a lot that they would come to faith. He prayed a lot that they would grow in faith. And so he says here, the people in Thessalonica, apparently there's some difficulty. Apparently their faith is wavering. Their faith is weak. Their faith needs to grow. You know, you see what Paul is praying here? He's saying, we're praying a night and day that God might let us come to be with you again face to face. So, so what? Paul says, so we can boost your faith. Your faith is lacking. It needs a boost. You know what? When, you, when you're visiting with someone and they're having a rough time, you know what you need to do when you're having a great time in the Lord? Come alongside them and boost their faith. Tell them, I'll pray for you. Can we pray right now? And let your faith and your joy and your victories, let that flow into them and let that be a boost to their faith. Remind them and say, you know what? I was in a spot like you were. 5, 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago, and here's what God did for me. What are you doing? You're bringing support and strength to their faith, which is lacking in the moment, but, but you and I can boost each other's faith. Say hallelujah. That's part of our job in the fellowship of the body of Christ. This is part of our command from God. Hey, be boosting each other's faith. When I need it, help me out. Pray for me. Remind me of a time that God blessed you and saved you and helped you. Boost my faith because I need that once in a while. Amen? So, so Paul, it's a really regular theme in his prayers. He says, boy, we're praying that God would let us come to you so we could be face to face so we could boost your faith. Verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. May the Lord make you increase and abound in what? Love for one another. He prays about love for one another in the body a lot, all the time. All the time he prays that, that brothers and sisters in Christ would love each other in the congregation. All the time. We can be praying that for each other. You know, as we do that, are we praying into the heart of God? Keep on reading in John. We're going to go into it. What did Jesus do at the Last Supper? He prayed that God would increase the love of the brethren for each other. So he's praying into Jesus' prayers. Um, so he says, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you. Verse 13. So that he may establish your heart, say with me, blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the wind. When do we need blame? When do we need to be blameless and holy before the Lord? When what happens? 
at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Paul prays about this a lot. I'm, I'm going, God, I have, I have almost never prayed this. Oh. Forgive me, Father, for missing this thing. You know what we need to be praying for each other? God, help us as a body, help us as individual believers to grow in holiness and blameless, to grow in maturity in Christ, so that when the trumpet blows, we're standing there holy and blameless and ready to go up into the sky. Grow us in Christ, mature us, take us on to deeper faith, bigger faith, greater obedience and righteousness, more powerful and amazing sacrificial love for each other. Wow, big stuff. What are my prayers mostly like? You know, mostly praying for healing and praying for salvation and, you know, good things. I've been missing some stuff to be praying about, right? Blameless and holy. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. This was 1 Thessalonians 3. Now 2 Thessalonians 3. Last one here. Another prayer of Paul, obviously. Chapter 3, verse 1. A couple of the things that he that are often in his prayers. We're going to see a couple more here in this one. Second Thessalonians chapter three verse one. Finally, brothers, and that includes its brethren, brothers and sisters. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. He often asks for prayers for open open doors for opportunities. He often asks for prayers saying. Pray that I'd be bold, that I'd never miss an opportunity, that I'd always speak the word that God asked me to speak. Often in his prayers. I need, I need that more for myself, more for us as a body. Amen? Okay, we're Minnesotans and we're mostly farmers. And <clears throat> Do we need to pray for each other, that boldness to speak about Jesus? Whoa, let's ramp that up, shall we? We need help with that. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. And that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. Well, there's a good prayer, amen. Let's be praying that. Is, is wickedness rising around us in this nation? Is it pressing against the body of Christ? Is it pressing against Christians and the word of God? For sure it is. What do we need? Let's pray for each other that God would deliver us from wicked and evil men. For It says, for not all have faith. Pretty obvious, right? Not all people around us have faith. Some of them are wicked and evil. Verse 3. But the Lord is faithful... He will do the same with me. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Now we did that in the Lord's prayer this morning. We didn't really recognize it because it's too bad. But in our as we as we brought the prayer into our modern English vernacular, we left out a little word. So when we pray in the Lord's prayer, deliver us from evil. It really ought to say deliver us from the evil one. That's in the literal original vocabulary language. Delivers from the evil one. Jesus did it in the Lord's Prayer. We need to be praying that for each other more often. God, deliver us, establish us, guard us against the evil one. Now, what does James say? Hey, resist him, and he has to flee. Let's pray for that each other more. I think too often we're just like, oh, he's beating me up. Yeah, well, resist him in Jesus' name. Let's get after him. Verse 4, we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the what? The love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. 
Paul does a lot of praying about love for each other. But you know what one of his favorite prayers is? Oh God, give revelation to your people about how wide, how high, how long, how deep is the love of Christ for his people. Ooh, that's some cool stuff to pray. Is Jesus going to answer that prayer? Oh, yeah. He says, hey, everything you pray in my name, in concert with my heart and will and action, I will do it. I will answer it. And if you have a prayer that, like Paul's, take this thorn from me, Jesus, he comes and he explains why this is a gift, why it's going to stay, and the impact, the positive, powerful impact that's going to have on lots of people around him. God has purpose in it. So, wow, our prayer needs to a bigger, more powerful thing. Let's pray about it, shall we? Let's pray about praying. Jesus, thank you for this really challenging promise that everything we pray in your name <coughs> that's a wonderful challenge to us, Lord, to know you more, to love you more, to grow and mature into you more, so that our prayers are more and more into the depth of your heart, and uh, you'll be, and then you will answer them the way we expect. God, when you need to answer our prayers in a way we don't expect, like for Paul and the thorn, God, give us uh, insight, uh, show us, like you did Paul, tell us, show us, reveal to us what's going on. So then, like Paul, God, then help us embrace it and say yes to it and rejoice in it. So that our weaknesses, we can testify about how God's strength is actually accomplishing it. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, most of all, um, want to know you more. You're the way and the truth and the life. And you went to the cross for us. And Jesus, literally, you're the only way for us to come into the presence of a Holy Father. So we want to have you, know you, love you, cling to you forever and ever. God, Holy Spirit, expand our prayer life. Teach us from Paul's prayers and by your own spirit and your word how to pray. But God, I'm taking it to heart here this morning to pray more insightfully for others and for the congregation. Jesus, in your precious name, we thank you, we love you, we bless you. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.